All right. Whenever you're ready, go for it. Hey, this is a Brad Nelson from DebtFreeDad.com, and you are listening to Vroom Vroom Veer with Jeff Smith. Hey, I'm here reminding you that education is great, but if you want to reach any of your goals, consistency is the one thing that you need to master more than anything. So true. Well said, sir. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Let me hit stop. I'll be right back. Sounds good. Are you ready to thoughtfully steer away from your revved up, frenzied, and far too often scripted life? Then welcome to Vroom Vroom Veer with Jeff Smith, where he guides you down the road differently traveled by sharing unique experiences with guests who have managed to shift away from a life stuck on cruise control and veered their way into a more authentic and fulfilling one in all sorts of interesting and kind of remarkable ways. Get ready to Vroom Vroom Veer with your differently traveled road chauffeur, Jeff Smith. Frank King, thank you so much for being on Vroom Vroom Veer and welcome to the show. How's it going? Uh, you know, I'm busier than a hooker at a four-way stop. Ooh, that's pretty busy. <laughs> I like it. So you, you are at, uh, let's see here, the, wait a minute, I've got it written down. Let me just read it. TheMentalHealthComedian.com. No. Actually, MentalHealthComedian.com. MentalHealthComedian.com. So let's remove the the. <laughs> mental good it's better i like it better that way all right so let's take out the v again and i'll say it again take two okay so you're at mentalhealthcomedian.com so talk a little bit about what's what you're most excited about in your business today well let's see well one of my clients who i thought was going to stiff me actually <laughs> yes <laughs> That's, that's my coaching business. So you mean in the mental health field? No, no, that's um, fine. Coaching, whatever. It's all one thing, right? It's it's Frank Incorporated. <laughs> yes, but two different websites, as I tell oh, my Oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah, no, you want to you pick a lane. Um, gotcha, understood. No, I got excited because I two Fridays ago, I got a phone call, and it was the Ohio Construction Association. Okay. And they said, look, we had a meeting. We decided... We want to have a suicide prevention speaker construction. And he goes, you know, kind of a short fuse. It's 27th of February. So we're talking a month. Right. And 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 somebody brought your name up. Yes. Good. And we checked out your website and we want somebody who can speak on suicide prevention who has lived experience, can teach us something. And we saw your comedian. That sealed the deal. <laughs> Amen. Yeah, so that that it works for me on a number in a number of ways. Yeah, um, yeah. When I do my speak, I coach speakers how to make money speaking. Right. And I hammer them. Pick a lane. Pick one problem to solve. Become the expert or thought leader, so that when somebody is looking for a speaker in your topic area, they don't want just anybody. Right. They want you? It's a long game, but occasionally, like that, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's, they they call and they're, they're looking for. And then on Monday, I got a an email from a speakers bureau. Okay. They said, our client asked if we could reach out to you, which is a great way to wow. get in really good with the speakers bureau that the client asked for you. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I'm, I'm beginning to show up, you know, uh, on radar yeah, yeah. as, as the mental health comedian, suicide prevention expert thought leader. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's what I'm most excited about is I'm beginning to get that kind of traction. You're finding a tier, as they say. You're getting a niche going on here. I'm big in, I think the riches are in the niches. And I, yeah, I tell yeah, my, totally. 
I tell my speaker clients that. And and I, it's the reason I only market myself on LinkedIn because that's where my central That makes sense. Are. Yeah, yeah. That makes yeah. sense. For, 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 for coaching. Now, on the mental health comedian side, I do podcasts because that's really good for SEO. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> and, 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 Jeff. Yes. And I, t- and I tell my clients, says, look, don't do a podcast. Too much work. Uh, I'm but a comedian. Guest, guest on comedian. Guest on yes. podcast. Yes. She's a really yes. good guest because yes. they'll post it. You'll post it. You get twice the SEO value. Totally. Yes. Yeah. If you go to my, if you go to um, do a search on Suicide Prevention Speakers Dental, as in dentists. Yeah, yeah. You'll find on page one Google, I've got seven or eight organic listings. Wow. That's that's I mean, awesome. Yeah, it's enough to give a you know a young uh, social media expert a hard on because <laughs> boy, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, you're lucky to have one. You're right. You're organic right. listing page one. And you've got seven on on one page. That's pretty good. Seven on page one. Yeah, seven and, on page one. So one through seven has, is you. Maybe I don't know. We don't know. And there's a couple uh, that yeah, broken it up. It doesn't really that. matter. <laughs> seven on one. That's that means you're 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 ruling at least one term. So that's great. Yep. So that's that's, what, that's why I believe the riches are in the niches. Yeah. Uh, speaking wise, I, I only speak on. I mean, I have other speeches if you want to. Yeah. You sure. know, I can do forty five minutes of comedy at your banquet. I can I can auctioneer your fundraiser. Wow, auctioneer. I like it. If you juggle, you could get a job in Vegas, real steady. Like I would shoot myself. <laughs> uh, no, I have, a, I have a friend in Vegas. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Tyler Lincoln. Okay. Amazing juggler. Yeah, yeah. And unlike most jugglers, you know, most jugglers patter, uh, you know, originating King Arthur's court. Right. Uh, a sudden burst of gravity. Uh, but Taylor's actually a great joke writer. He, he uh, also wrote yeah, yeah, night yeah. show for a time. Oh, wow. Yeah. And he's and he, he juggles, but and a really good juggler as well. But really good, really good original patter. So. Yeah, yeah, I gotcha. So let's let's talk about that. So before you became suicide prevention speaker comedian, mm-hmm. you you wrote for the Tonight Show as a comedy writer for twenty years. Correct. So how does somebody get a gig like that? What's the road to getting in the writer room at the Tonight Show? <laughs> well, uh, actually, I never got in the writer room, but oh wow, interesting. But, but the road. Yeah, yeah, ironically, Jay Leno was the permanent guest host for Johnny. I remember. Uh, Joan Rivers made the mistake of getting her own talk show and not bothering to tell Johnny, so she got blown out. Wow. Gary Shandling was a a substitute host, right? Fill in host, but he took the Larry did and uh, not Larry Day. He took the uh, Larry Sanders show. Was that it, Larry? He did Larry Sanders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The HBO show, right? He the HBO show. So he didn't. Have, he couldn't do it. So that left Leno. He was the he was the perm, the <clears throat> one permanent guest host for Johnny. And Johnny was he was a bit mercurial. So he would tell the staff on a Friday night, "Hey, I'm taking next week off." And I guess after that many years, you can you, know, you can do that. Sure. Uh, Mondays were a best of Carson, so rerun. But that meant Jay had four nights, Tuesday through Friday, eighteen jokes a night in the monologue. Wow. Pretty much had to come up with them over the weekend. Wow. <clears throat> so he started hiring road comics like me. Okay. To, under contract, you fill out this, you know, fill out the independent contractor paperwork. They give you a fax number. They called us fax writers back then. Wow. That's neat. And 
we wrote my facts. And I mean, I'd, I'd crank in 12, 24 jokes a day over, over the, the week. weekend. Okay. Yes. And I was, you know, I get a couple on that week. And then when he got the job for real, when Johnny retired and NBC decided not Letterman, they took Leno. Right. They kept some of the, you know, a few, a handful of contract labor writers on. And I, I stayed there writing for him until he left for CNBC. Oh, wow. <clears throat> so he never made it into the room. That was the dream. And there were guys who were fax writers. That's why I was pumping in 12 to 24 a day. Just so show you could do that. Because there are a lot of comics who'd write a few and then another few and another. Yeah, yeah. But I was it out with the hope that someday I would be in the Writers Guild. And uh, there were there were guys who made it from fax writer to the writer's room. Interesting. Unfortunately, I was not one of them. But <laughs> that's okay. You're still getting yeah. paid, you know. So that's yeah, you get 75 bucks a joke and you never wow. miss one. Wow. And it's the first line in my bio, practically. It's the yeah, first yeah. line of my introduction. I didn't realize until a speaker friend of mine said, Frank, let me ask some. Why is the fact you wrote for the Tonight Show for 20 years not the first line in your bio and your intro? What? People care about that? Oh, come <laughs> on, dude. It, that, you know, you know a lot of people did it, but the rest of the world has no idea. Yeah, 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 exactly. It's huge. It's huge. Yeah, it was. And it so was made let, let, me, let me ask you some dumb questions. That uh, Did you get paid for every joke, whether or not they used it or not? No, is it all on spec? Ah, wow. So they only pay you for a joke if if you they use it. Yes. And it was fifty bucks in the beginning and he bumped it to seventy-five. Okay. And it was back then I would I go to bed early. So I would plop a tape into the VCR and tape the tonight show just for the monologue. And get up the next morning, kind of like the lottery, see if my number came up. Ah. And and oftentimes there was a joke I had in my act that my wife hated. Okay. So I said, I'm going to sell to Linda. Linda, I think it's about. The joke was, um, I have one of those vibrating pagers. I carried my front pocket. <laughs> I, call, I call myself all the time. <laughs> Hi, this is Frank. <laughs> I'm not here right now. Please leave a message. I like. The, I love it. I love it. And, See, now that, that would go over well with, you know. And he did it. Oh, and, wow. uh, nice. I told my wife, he did that joke. I can't so, see Leno doing that, but okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, he, I had two jokes in the very first show he did after he took over from Johnny. One was that, um, this is not too long after the guy's name, uh, in the LA, they get, they beat the heck out of the cops that, uh, last name, Rodney King, Rodney King. Yes. Yeah. So about that time, some guy got stung to death by bees in Texas. And I said, yeah, you know, they weren't uh, they weren't killer bees. They were just ordinary honeybees upset over the Rodney King verse. <laughs> That's actually pretty good. <laughs> Thank you. And then uh, at the time, Dan Quayle was uh, vice president. He was in the news. Yeah. And somebody asked him about Murphy Brown. It was a sitcom. Candace I remember Mur Murphy Brown. Sure. In the story, in the sitcom, she got pregnant out of wedlock. And somebody asked Dan Quayle what he thought about that. And he goes, um, he said, um, I think that mocks the importance of fathers. And then he said, where would I have been with, without my dad? And that was the end of his sentence and the paragraph. Where would I have been without my dad? I added, my guess, Vietnam. <laughs> and killed. <laughs> now, 
There's a Vegas one that Leno loved, but got absolutely nothing. They did a 60 Minutes or somebody did a survey of graduation rates, Duke versus UNLV basketball players. And Duke graduated like 86% of its, you know, male, uh, whatever, Division I athletes. And UNLV graduated 17%. Okay. And asked a UNLV basketball player to comment on that. He goes, gee, twice as many. Um, <laughs> I don't know whether the audience didn't get the math, but Leno's like, uh, I'm at home going, oh, man. Wow. He really liked to. I love the joke. It was, I was a great joke. Hey, but you it, get paid whether or not they laugh or not. So that uh, oh yeah, somebody at asked that me point, that, <laughs> somebody really asked me, do you get paid by the laugh? Oh, thank God, no. Right. Because there were nights, one nighters. Uh, my wife and I, my girlfriend at the time, then my wife, December of '85. I said to her, "I'm going on the road to be a professional stand-up comedian. Do you want to come along just for the ride?" Figured she'd go, "Oh hell no!" Right. And she goes, "Yeah." So we gave up our apartment and our jobs and crawled into my tiny little Dodge Colt. Wow. We were on the road for 2,629 nights in a row, nonstop, no home. Seven Yikes. years. In wow. Yep. And it was a great time. It was like 84 to 94, the the comedy boom. And I worked with right. uh, worked with Seinfeld and Dennis Miller and Foxworthy and Ron White, Ellen, Rosie. I love Dennis Miller. He was awesome. Yeah, he still is. He still is. <laughs> Yeah, well, he's he's gone to the dark side, but um, <laughs> but, but it was a business decision because there are very few, if you think about, it, there are very few conservative comics, mm. and so he saw an opportunity, which I, I'm sure because he was very much, very much more liberal um, when he was on HBO, and then right, so right, right. And I, I wrote for him. You know, I, wrote for him. I don't know if if people remember, but he he was on the Color Guy on Monday Night Football for a very brief period. Yeah, and I think the mistake he made was. If he said, been he probably gig, said something controversial, right? <laughs> no, I think oh, he okay. tried, tried to be a football announcer, and I think that's a mistake. I think he should have uh, played the everyman, right? You know, when when there's some kind of call on the, some kind of esoteric penalty on the <clears> field, <throat> I would have gone, "Okay, look, guys, I've been I've been one of this for years. How does that work? What exactly is this, did yeah. they do wrong? Right, right, right." You play the every guy at home who's not a huge fan, and they it's like the infield fly rule. I still have no idea what that is. Yeah, yeah. So I would, you know, all right, listen, explain the infield fly rule to me because I just don't, you know, so, but I think he tried to be, uh, you know, like a, a like an expert football guy. Yes. And color uh, analyst. <laughs> yes. And he had some great esoteric references. I mean, there were, you know, there were, I don't know, I can remember people decoding what he said. Right. I wrote for him. He has show on CNBC. I fax wrote for him for a little while. Oh, neat. And the fun thing was, Leno set a punch, set a punch, set a punch, set a punch. Um, and I try to write in the voice of the person I'm writing for. And Dennis Miller was set up, punch, simile, metaphor, obscure reference. <laughs> uh, the one that, that got the farthest, got to the table, almost got on the show, was um, Linda Tripp. Um, I don't remember Linda Tripp. I remember the name. She was the woman who encouraged Lewinsky to hang on to the blue dress. Oh, wow. Holy cow. Yes. Okay. And we're talking, I'm talking the um, old Linda trip, not the new Linda trip. They got the nose job and lost all the weight. I'm talking the old one. Okay. She came out on television at a press conference and she's crying. She goes, I'm just an average American. No, sugar, you're roughly two average Americans. 
You look like David Crosby in a dress. You make you make you make Janet Reno look like Xena Warrior Princess. <laughs> you got the voice down. <laughs> yeah, that, that's what he wrote. I know. I get it. And I met him, and he's a real prick. I met him. He was until he had kids. Then he changed his tune. I met him at the Improv in San Diego. He moved to LA from Pennsylvania. He's having trouble getting stage time in LA. If you can if you can believe it. Wow. So somebody at the improv, the middle act, the feature act, had to be, was called away for some kind of photo shoot. And so they needed a feature act. So his manager saw the opportunity. Feature gets 25, 30 minutes. And it's an improv. So, you know, send him down there, does his thing, and then the folks who own the improv in San Diego report back. One of the best 25-minute sets I have ever seen in my entire, I mean, it was all his A material bullets. Sure. And Ben Pollock, comic, yeah. very talented. Um, he did a lot of um, impressions. I mean, it was oh, like yeah. following the second coming. You know, ladies and gentlemen, another round of applause right here. Jesus Christ. Now, Kevin Pollock ruins <laughs> <some> impressions. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that's a bad follow, right? When, no, when, when, when somebody wants, when somebody kills and you don't want to go on next. No, I was right. wearing a crew one time and they had a Beatles tribute band. And the, the cruise is chock full of baby boomers. I mean, they're holding their phones, you know, let it be, let it be, you know, imagine it. And I had to follow them. Ooh. So anytime you have to follow something like that, I believe you have to cop to the fact you're having to follow something like that. So I said to the audience, <laughs> when I came out, another round of applause for the, uh, whatever they call themselves, Beatle, and Beatle tribute band. I said, you know, they're, they tell you in show business, never follow kids, animals, or the Beatles. I said, I was so depressed about doing that. They had to come to my room and get me. I was hanging from my belt. Because <laughs> they had no idea that right. I was suicidal. But, uh, wow. yeah, I mean, I had to follow the Beatles. Dear God. You know, there's. Uh, I, I wanted to bring up, because you're a writer, and you also were depressed, and you also, like... Had suicide attempts, maybe. I don't know. We'll get into that. Yes. Okay. Yeah, me yeah. too. Oh, yeah. Me too. We can share. But um, I, I'm recently reading this book. Um, it's about like kind of like science of being happier kind of idea. Okay. And and one of the things they brought up was the science shows that consuming humor is good for your health. It's it it yeah good for your brain, increases happiness, and in small doses is really good for you. Big doses, sure. it doesn't matter, right? The but Big surprise. If you write jokes, the opposite is the case. What? <laughs> Big surprise, Frank? <laughs> yeah. The science, the science actually, the science says that pe comedians and people that write jokes uh, actually get less happy writing jokes, which I, so let's talk about it. <laughs> it sounds yeah. like, you know, I've heard this too. Like, um, like once you sort of like master writing jokes, then it's fun. No. Okay. <laughs> no, I, I think, uh, I was, well, I, I told my first joke in fourth grade, the kids laughed. The teacher was hysterical. She laughed. She was laughing so hard. She had to excuse herself to go to the teacher's lounge. Wow. At which point I decided I'm going to be a stand-up comedian. In nice, fourth grade. nice. Ooh. And and and, and you, ha, had you written that joke or was it like off the no, cuff? No, well, 
No, what happened was my whole family's nearsighted. I mean, really nearsighted. I wrote a joke later that we're, we were all descended from the people uh, on the island of myopia, <laughs> which was conquered over and over because they never saw the bad guys coming. Makes sense. Because <laughs> only 20% of the audience knows what myopia is. Right. But I needed glasses. And I, this is 19, 1964, maybe. And no fashion frames in the 60s. No. Girls had cat eye glasses, a couple of colors. Guys had what is now popular Ray-Ban, black, classic, Buddy Holly kind of glasses. But I hated them because I was vain then. I'm vain now. And <laughs> right. I didn't want to wear them. But the teacher knew that I couldn't see the board. So she decided that why I wasn't wearing them was because I was afraid of what everybody would say. Mm. So she decided probably a good idea to pull the Band-Aid off in a hurry. Give me at the front of the class. She turned me away from the class, had me put my glasses on, turned back to the class. She looks down at me. She goes, see, you look intelligent. I looked up at her and said, yes, that would explain all the laughter. <laughs> In fourth grade. Yeah, that's good timing. Good delivery. Yeah, oh yeah. The whole family. Um, my sister in 10th grade. There's a teacher, Mrs. Rice, or Miss Rice, I can't recall. Miss Rice, math teacher, I think, took a disliking to my sister at Hello. I have no idea why, because my sister's harmless. So she put a, a problem on the board and then said, Does anybody, can anybody solve this? Well, my sister put her hand in the air. And Mrs. Rice systematically called on the four kids around her that didn't have their hands in the air. Finally, when she got to the fourth kid, in desperation, he goes, Ms. Rice, Jane has her hand up. <laughs> By which point, Jane's hand was down. Yes. So Ms. Rice goes, oh, Jane, I'm sorry. Did you have your hand up? Wow. My sister said, I did. But don't worry. It won't happen again. I love it. <laughs> and my mother would tell you, it never did. <laughs> yeah, the whole family is like that. Yeah. About comedy. Comedy is tragedy plus time. So right. comedians mine the tragedy in their lives. And so, but writing jokes makes me, a, especially a good joke, makes me ecstatic. Um, and I had a heart attack. And the longer you do comedy, the shorter the time between the tragedy and the comedy. And <laughs> right. I was doing comedy in real time having a heart attack. Right. So you're telling that, jokes about having a heart attack as you have a heart attack. Yeah, I got to, the thing about having a heart attack is when you arrive at the hospital, no waiting. Uh, they give you a little triage unit. And so the <laughs> nurse is there. She's got a clipboard. And she goes, uh, Frank, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm in a great deal of pain at this point. I got to ask you, no paperwork, obviously, Frank, but I got to ask you a question. I said, honey, I'm married, but I do love the way you think. Ah. <laughs> She's laughing, trying not to laugh. She goes, no, no. Your full name is Frank Marshall King III, but what do you like to be called? I said through the pain, Big Daddy. <laughs> to this day, when I go back to Oregon Heart and Vascular, I see somebody from that morning, hey, Big Daddy, how's it hanging? Big Daddy. <laughs> Big Daddy. Through the pain. Yes. Through the pain. No, I, it makes me happy to write. Um, I, yeah, I, I don't, uh, I'm not sure. You know, because I think my major depressive disorder and chronic suicidal ideation is simply the flip side 
of my creativity, imagination, and comic ability. There's a reason when somebody heckles me that I literally don't have to think. A woman's leaving a comedy club one night, they're throwing her out, she's drunk, she's been disruptive. <clears throat> I'm turned away from her, take attention off her there as they're escorting her out. Right near the door, she starts to turn back. I'm thinking she heard something sounded like her voice because drunks her voice activated. And she screams, F you. And without thinking, I just said, not even for practice. <laughs> Standing ovation. <laughs> and people came up afterwards. How'd you think that up? I didn't think that up. When you heard it, I heard it. I had no idea. That, I have no idea where that came from. Yes. But I think that's the, because same brain, same wiring. Right. You know, that's just the way I tell people. I can teach you to write stand-up and perform stand-up. I cannot teach you to process the incoming information. Right. The way my neurodiverse brain does. Right, right. Yes. And I think that's the gift that goes with the curse. I think it's it's just, you know, just the way I'm wired. You've got the comedian brain, the comedian gene, whatever it is. that. Yeah. Is. I mean, yeah, depression yeah. and suicide run to my family. It's called generational depression and suicide. It's in my DNA, and so wow. is comedy. Wow. So you think they're tied together? Oh, yeah. I think one is just the flip side of the other. Okay. Same brain, gotcha. same wiring. I wow. mean, yeah, well, it kind of fits, too, because I always thought that I had comedian brain. I just didn't want to be a comedian. Um, but I also was depressed and suicidal. So you hey, man. You, you might be right. <laughs> yeah. well, you might have something I did, here. <laughs> I, I thought so because I, I did a TEDx talk because I kept bumping into people with a mental challenge. You also had some other superpower. And man. and. It's it's amazing how many people, you know, famous, infamous, rich, whatever, talented, have, you know, uh, an issue. But well, look at, um, what's his name? Kanye West. I mean, politics aside, he's definitely one of the musical geniuses of his generation. Sure. Unfortunately, he's not also a public relations genius. Right. But, but yeah, but I mean, it's, and he lives out of Dubai with bipolar disorder. So, oh, really? Yeah. That, that Bill explains, Kate, that explains a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bill Gates is dyslexic. Right. Uh, I mean, there's uh, Elon Musk. Who the hell knows? Um, well, he's, uh, I thought he was autistic. Somewhere on that uh, autism spectrum. Could be. Musk, yeah. Yeah, it could be. Um, but genius. Totally. I mean, I, I'm, no longer on, I'm no longer on Twitter because of him, or X, or whatever the hell it is. But yeah, <laughs> one too many, one uh, anti-Semitic repost. I'm like, okay, I'm out. Um yeah. Yeah, you can go after anybody but the Jews. And I'm right. not Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody knows that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they've, you know, they've been scapegoated enough. It's, right. Uh, yeah, anyway. It, so, yeah, but, that's, but a that's, nonetheless. If you're beating up on Jews, that's the no horse too dead rule. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it, it, even as a comedian, you're just being lazy. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, yeah. That's your default. Exactly. <laughs> What's wrong? The Jews. Exactly. What? Really? Because the the food is cold. They're to blame, is it? <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't know. I, I writing jokes makes me, you know. I mean, that's I I maybe it's the creativity. Not just writing jokes. Being creative makes me happy. Right. Right. Yeah. I get it. I my process is I go. To, somebody says, Frank, I need a tagline. Great. I'll go. I'll sleep on it. So I go to bed. I wake up. And I do a double shot of espresso. I lie back down in the dark and I see what my brain has come up with. And I mean, a friend of mine 
Anthony Anthony Metten. He teaches communication and emotional intelligence soft skills. Right. He goes, I need a tagline. I said, all right, I'll sleep on it. Three o'clock in the morning, I woke up. Then I had it. Wow. I, uh, I texted him three in the morning. Anthony Metten, soft skills, concrete results. Nice. He texted her back, A, you woke me up, you bastard. And B, did you fucking think of this in your sleep? <laughs> <laughs> but that's where all your best ideas come. Yes. Like, but just a, immediately, a, like two, two, three o'clock in the morning, it's like you wake up and you bing. <laughs> well, and, and that happens to me too. Yeah. A psychiatrist explained it to me. He said, Frank, here's the thing if you're in that half awake, half asleep state, yeah. The blood is moving between the hemispheres of your brain more quickly and easily than during daylight when you're wide awake. He said, they think Einstein, it happened all the time, regardless of his sleep or awake. Right, right. Um, same reason that when you're in the shower, I get a lot of good ideas in the shower and I ask him about that. He goes, well, Frank, the hot water's hitting the back of your neck. It's driving blood to the brain. Oh, wow. Yeah, so there is there is a reason why those times of, and I I worked, well, that's why I lie there 45 minutes to an hour in the morning sometimes is to honor that process and see what the hell. <laughs> what's coming what's, through. What's, what's com coming through. What's yeah. coming through. Yes. Yeah, I have a friend that. who worked on Madison Avenue for 25 years and she wrote a book on advertising and she goes, I need a, I need a title and subtitle. I said, okay, I'm going to bed. I'd have a dozen of each. Wow. That's awesome. And sent them to her. And when she woke up <clears throat> later, she sent me a uh, a text back. She goes, Frank, I worked on Madison Avenue 25 years. I've never seen anybody who could write this good a copy that fast. Right. It's a gift. You, you've got a you've got a, a method. Yeah, and and I'm honoring what the way my brain is wired. Yeah, and I try to focus on. And the reason I did mental benefits was really for kids. If you can convince a child, yes, you have a mental disability, but here's something they probably haven't told you yet. You probably have some mental abilities your peers can't touch. Right. But why don't we treat the mental disability and then embrace, encourage, and enhance and totally. energize whatever it is that they singularly... Your superpower. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and yeah. you know, that was two years before 60 Minutes did a story that said 30 <clears throat> Fortune 500 companies are now hiring people on the spectrum for the one thing they do really well. I think, <laughs> where have you, where have you been? Yeah. So like whenever I uh, like think about like what what are my superpowers, right? That comes up a lot. Like if you, you know, not so much anymore because, you know, I think I've I've laid out like what I'm going to do for the rest of my life now. Okay. Uh, but, you know, who knows? I'm open, right? But like I think another podcast guest said, think about all the times you got in the most amount of trouble. You were probably using your superpower. <laughs> yes. Well, and I went, oh, okay, let's think about that. <laughs> well, and one of mine actually is, and I didn't know this even existed until a couple of years ago. Um, a friend of mine did, had a podcast on imposter syndrome. And okay. so I went on because I had no idea what the hell that was. <laughs> I just went on to be a good guest, you know? Sure. He described it to me, you know, well, Frank, you're, you're accomplished. You got a PhD, a master's, whatever. And that when you get your PhD, that day you're feeling like top of the world. Next day you're thinking, oh man, I don't, I don't think I deserve the PhD. I think someone's gonna find out and you know they're gonna take it right. away from me. Right, right, right. And I said, Well, dude, I got bad news for you. 
apparently I have reverse imposter syndrome. <laughs> because I am spectacular, and I'm just waiting for somebody else to figure that out. <laughs> yeah, my tagline, Jeff, is often wrong, never in doubt. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm working with a guy who's a personal development guy. And um, I, apparently, I'm, I'm reading his book, and I'm like, people have these problems? I had no idea. Uh, it was like one after another. And I'm thinking, you know, limiting beliefs. I said, look, uh, one, I got bad news. I don't have any limiting beliefs. I could just, I, you know, I, I apparently I'm, I'm, maybe I'm from another planet. I don't know. I just, you're wired, you're wired differently. Yeah. You know, it's, and one of the things he talks about is it's, there's nothing really true or false, good or bad. It's all perception. And I thought, you know what? My favorite example of that is there's no such thing as bad weather, just people who are underdressed. True. So, yeah, because weather is neither benign nor malevolent. It's just, it's just weather. It's just yeah. weather. Yeah. So, I mean, I get it, right. but I, I'm not going to, I wouldn't be a good client for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let, let's talk a little bit about what it feels like to be depressed. So, like, like one of the things I had like several depressive states or episodes or periods, I guess. But like, I remember I was in Hawaii and I was like deeply depressed, suicidal. Right. Um, and I would look at like people in elevators, like even like people that I knew. Right. And go, uh, I, I want to go back. I want the blue pill. What the fuck did I do? <laughs> How did the fuck did I get here and how do I get back? Right. I want to be one of those people again. Did you go through something similar to like, you're looking at like people that are obviously okay, not depressed or like, I don't know what the, you know, just like not bothered by every little thing, right? <laughs> not going home and crying for hours when they're alone. Yeah. Right? Yeah. All of that. <laughs> so <clears throat> what were your thoughts? I never, that never crossed my mind. Um, really? Yeah, the only time something similar crossed my mind when my mom passed away, and and I was at the YMCA playing basketball, and everybody was having a great time, and I'm sitting there thinking, "Don't you people get it? Nobody knows <laughs> you're alive." That's the I only time I had that sort of similar. Okay. And I and I because it's in my DNA, I live with major depressive disorder, which is depression. Right. And chronic suicidal ideation, which is relatively rare. It's not even in the DSM-5, you know, the diagnostic right, right. manual, big book of diseases. I, I've said, you know, I have chronic suicidality or chronic suicidal ideation to a therapist. You know, they've been doing it 20 years and they stare at me like a pig staring at a wristwatch. Right. They have no idea. Um, what it means is for people like me and my tribe, the option of suicide is always on the menu as a solution for problems large and small. Wow. And I tell the audience, when I say small, my car broke down a couple of years ago. I had three thoughts. One, get it fixed. Two, buy a new one. Three, hell, I could just kill myself. Yeah. Well, the benefit of doing that in a keynote, almost every time I've done that, there's been at least one person in the audience who has that. They have no idea it has a name. They think they're just some kind of freak and all alone. Right, right. Right. I've had more than one person come up crying. A young lady at a college show. She came up, thanked me for the keynote. She said, you're welcome. She goes, but God tell you, it made me weep. I didn't make you weep. She goes, you know your story about the car, get it fixed, buy a new and kill yourself? I right. go, yeah. 
She goes, I've been having those thoughts all my life. I thought it was just me. I didn't know I had a name. I thought I was just some kind of freak. And then I hear you say, you got it. Yeah, yeah. So I realized first time in my life, I'm not alone. And I wept. Wow. That's the ROI. <laughs> that is the ROI. Yes. And, yeah. and by the way, one of the reasons I don't kill myself. Because I feel like George Bailey in the movie, It's a Wonderful Life. Yes. I've been showing what people's lives like hers yes. would be like if I weren't there simply to reassure her. Right. And if I took my own life, I could take some of those people with me who would never have a chance to hear me speak. Right. So that's that's one of the reasons I don't kill myself. I mean, there's there's a variety of reasons, but right, right. So you basically just you this is still hanging out with him. You're not oh, yeah. Okay. Wow. It's in my DNA. People go, How'd you pick suicide as a topic? Topic picked me. Right. Wow. Not going well, away. You know, it's wow. it's a superpower in that. Yeah. Uh, somebody called me one day. I'd done something. People on the web took umbrage. It was, you know, it wasn't lewd or, you know, it involved children. It was just something I'd done business wise in comedy. And I mean, the the trolls came afterwards. I had to change my home phone number, shut down wow. a couple of social media accounts for a while. Right. And the guy called me and he goes, Look, I know what you did. I know where you work out. I know what time you work out. I'm coming to kill you. I said, okay, listen, that's fine. But there are some things you need to insert into your mental math before you do that. One, I've been trying to do that for 60 years. No luck yet. Two, I don't want to die, but I'm not scared of it. Mm. So, I mean, do you really want to take on a guy who has absolutely nothing to lose? Right. Didn't He didn't show up. <laughs> <laughs> He was just trying to scare you. Yeah, and I doubt he would have shown up anyway. No. But, uh, but you know, it's like yeah, it's like Mel Gibson in the first um, meltdown, first, or with Danny Glover, the first um, Lethal Weapon. Okay, when he's in the convenience store and the guy's robbing and he, and he grabs a gun and puts it to his forehead, pull the trigger, go ahead and pull the trigger. Yeah, yeah, because he's depressed about his wife passing away or something. <clears throat> right. Yeah, that's that's where I am. No, pull pull the trigger. Right. Please, you're doing me a favor. <laughs> one, of, one, of, one of my superpowers is a. I apparently I have really detailed and uh, daydreams because I explain one of my daydreams to a friend of mine because I have you know it's in color and I have dialogue. I've got uh, blocking and lighting. You know I have, I have sound bites for the media when we get done. Wow. And he's, he goes, dude, I got to get better daydreams. Yeah, because you know you're in a convenience store, somebody pulls a gun. You know, and you do something like Mel Gibson did, and the guy goes, "You're crazy." Thanks for noticing. Um, <laughs> you know, but I, I'm always a hero of my own story. Get the gun away from him, kill him, and of course, they ask me, "You killed a guy?" Yeah, well, you know, good guys one, bad guys zero. You got a problem with that? Uh, the king of the sound bites. Uh, <laughs> that's all in my, you know, my old daydream world. Right. Wow. Well, you know, and. I'm not the only one who does that because I'll go in some place like I was in Walgreens and I'm back there at the back of the store by the pharmacy. And I'm thinking, suppose somebody came in and, you know, stuck up the place. The guy's got a gun. So I thought, I know. So I went second aisle over. It's the where they have the liquor and wine. And, you know, they got some champagne bottles. Got a nice handle on it. Really thick glass. Yeah. I would just grab, I would grab two of them. And, you know, and hold behind my back, go up the front counter, and just lock him with. 
clung. Um, yeah. <laughs> or if I'm in the 76, I would take the cup of coffee I'm making, you know, get over here. I'm making my coffee. Hang on. So I make the coffee, but don't put a lid on it. So I'll walk over, and of course, it's piping hot. Yeah. Scalding. Ash, you know, and I don't kill them in this one. But um, somebody goes, well, tell me about that. Hey, um, the best thing, the best way to handle a guy with a gun is another guy with a strong cup of coffee. There you go. <laughs> so it's just the way my, you know, but I, I like to plan. When I go someplace, I'm looking at the exits. What am I going to do if something, you know, my mother, I think she had the same issue because she would never sit in a restaurant with her back to the door. And she's not Italian. <laughs> um, she's not Italian. <laughs> yeah, you know, you're Italian. Oh, I get it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get and it. So it's something I live with all the time. And the, the depression right. for me, it feels like I have a three-day cycle. Been through it many times. It feels like on the first day, somebody's trying to force a gravity out. Harder and harder to put one foot in front of the other. Second wow. day, it bottoms out. Third day, I could feel the gravity being turned back down. Hmm. So that that's kind of my cycle. And I used to say I fight depression, but that's that's not true because I can't win. Right. So okay. I think in the key, Aikido approach, Aikido is a martial art where you blend with your enemy's energy. Or you work with it. Yeah. So I just I think of it as a wave. I catch the wave of depression on my surfboard. And I just ride it, follow, you know, go with the energy right. until the wave breaks in three days and I'll be fine. Right. Wow. But rather than spend energy trying to push back against it. Yeah. Right. I get it. Wow. Yeah. I, <clears throat> so I don't, I never got, so when I ha was depressed, I had a security clearance because I worked in a skiff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what that means. So I anyway, do. uh, so, you know, th they, uh, they, they frowned on people with a security clearance being suicidal that was frowned upon. So if yeah. you made it known that, you know, you had a mental health issue, you wouldn't have your clearance for a while. You, it would get suspended. So yep. all of my suicide plans had to include if it doesn't work out and I'm not dead, I have to get up and go to work. So <laughs> I did. <laughs> Do this. Tell myself, oh, no darn, go to work. That's right. Try. Uh, uh, I would say if if you really want to, if you're committed to dying, and, and then it doesn't work out. So I took rat poison. And Arsenic. Well, I don't know. I I don't want to get too detailed. I, I've already been down that road. <laughs> Let's just well, say I, I I mixed up some some rat poison pellets in in. Uh, uh, ice cream and I ate that. Okay. And the next day I went to work. So that was a really bad day at work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks for the face. <laughs> but what it did was I, I think I, I got to what I like to lovingly refer to as the fuck it stage. Oh yeah. I, I like, I, you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, there's a there's a book, um, one of the characters in the book, um, fast forward and fuck it. Um, you know, just fuck it. Yeah, I know, totally. I know it, yeah. It, yeah. It was like I survived rat poison. You know, now that inspection that I was dreading at work doesn't really seem like a big deal. <laughs> well and <laughs> so surviving suicide can can change your life, you know. Well, during the pandemic. It turns out that 
I did a, I did a keynote online on Zoom called um, let's see, uh, social distancing and staying sane. Don't worry so much about your mentally ill friends, because my mentally ill friends locally and I realized because we all had solid self care plans. Right. Okay. We were sailing through because we we wake up in an uncertain world every day. Gotcha. So so you didn't mind lockdown so much. No. I, I guess they were kind of, you kind of were pre lockdown. You were locked down before it was cool. Yeah. <laughs> so they would call me up and somebody called me and goes, Hey, you know, they're worried about it because I'm in a land. Right. And so how are you handling the pandemic? I go, look, I've had two aortic valve replacements, double bypass, heart attack, three stits. I have two mental illnesses and I had a loss to a puppet on the original star search. This is not the worst thing that's ever happened to me. Amen. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've been, I've, I've totaled a couple of cars. I've been through those heart surgeries. I mean, the last time I had a heart surgery, the guy said 10% chance you're going to die. Okay. And it took 11 and a half hours to replace the replaced valve. Wow. I mean, it was ugly. How but, do you, you end know. up there? I mean, where, where does that start? Does it start with the valve replacement or does it start with the heart attack? No, the valve replacement, my dad had, they believe, a bicuspid aortic valve instead of a tricuspid, the way it's supposed to be designed. Oh, so you had one of those congenial, congenial, Conge- congenital, congenital. Yes, that's a hard <laughs> congenial, word. Uh, congenial disease. Um, it was very congenial. It was very congenial. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I got that from him, and I got the mental illness and the cholesterol of a deep fat fryer from my mother. Ah, gotcha. Yeah. It's so it was. Just, it's just a bad hand, you know, DNA poker. It was just gotcha. So the valve job, my dad died at 40. So at 39, I had my valve replaced. And so then they, no heart attack. You just went in as a no, but I, I mean, it was, if I, if I, um, you know, if you didn't have it, right. for God's sake, it would, yeah, it would hurt. It got oh, to the wow. point where, oh wow, got to the point where even if I walk fast. And so I told people, look, I could be in the middle of the street and there's a truck coming. If I run to the next curb, I'm dead. If I stay there, I'm dead. So why why, why work up a sweat? <laughs> why worry about it? Yeah. Duck and hope for the best. <laughs> yeah. I, would, I would walk to the store because we live near the this little shopping area. And every time my wife heard sirens when I was walking to the store, I was like, oh, shit. Um, so I had it replaced. And I got a human valve, human valve replacement from a donor, either a cadaver or uh, an attorney who wasn't using it. And... <laughs> And that lasted eighteen years. <laughs> yeah, eighteen years, and then I had I got a mechanical one to replace that, which it should last. People go, well, the mechanical valve lasts you the rest of your life. Yeah, I think it's gonna be pretty close. Click. <laughs> <laughs> but it's great. doing just fine. Excellent. So, That's good to hear. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm getting ready to do my fifth bodybuilding contest in July. Really? Sixteen right. over bodybuilding. Wow. Yep. All, all true natural. They polygraph you beforehand, urine test you after, make sure you're not doing some banned substance. Okay. Well, wait, I always wanted to do that, but I figured I'm really slightly built. I've got really thin, you know, bones. It's, right. it's years of inbreeding. And um, so I thought after 60, I bet everybody's going to give up. And sure enough, pretty much there are very few people over 60 that still bodybuild. Right. So... Yeah, so it's, it's a good idea. It's a good idea. My self care plan, you know, I exercise every day. Yeah, yeah. 
It's not a bad idea. Get sunlight, do some workout, take some yeah. walks. Yes. Yeah. And I, I, I'm on, I'm on the I intermittent fast. I'm on the keto diet since 2018. Keto diet is smart. Intermittent fasting, smart. Yes. Yeah. I've been combining those. So like one of those doctors on, uh, on the Tim Ferriss show was like, so if you like have already gotten into the habit of skipping breakfast and maybe just having coffee, if you make yeah. lunch keto friendly, you're basically in keto mode all the way up until you have your first carb. I was like, that's a really good idea. <laughs> I like yeah. eggs and, and cheese and meat. I just yeah, have an omelet been, for lunch or something. I've been doing the combination of two and uh, it's February. So I'm eating every once every 48 hours. Nice. Hmm. Whoa, that's awesome. Holy crap. It's <laughs> 66. Wow. So, that's impressive. Yeah, but again, you know, I was in the gym anyway for my cardio, for my health, mental health. And I thought, well, you know, right. But if, if I go on the keto diet intermittent fast, I can, you know. That's the one thing that, like, as advertised, works. You don't really have to do anything and you just lose weight. Right? And, I mean, it was amazing. Money. Yes. You save money. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I have the uh, that's one of my superpowers is the ability not to eat. That's good. My like workout that. partner, I've done I've done five days in a row not eating. Nice. And my workout partner goes, man, you are stronger on day five than you were on day one. You know what I think? I think they've been feeding your ass just to hold you back. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? <laughs> like my kryptonite, right? So well, we only got we only got three minutes left because another client at the top of the hour, Jen. Right, right. We have to wrap up. So tell people how they can best get in touch with mental health comedian Frank King. Uh, LinkedIn. I got a huge presence on LinkedIn. I will put LinkedIn in the show notes. Yeah, as a matter of fact, LinkedIn called me. I got such I got so much traction. LinkedIn called me. And I said to the woman, I didn't think LinkedIn had a phone. Um, they wanted me to contribute to an article on how to become a keynote speaker. I said, Yeah, oh, wow. you know. Hell Would yeah, you, like you to? want to do that, yes. Yeah, I said after I got self done self-pleasuring, I said, sure. <laughs> wow, <laughs> that was quick. <laughs> Thanks, well, Frank. You know. <laughs> this has been a blast. <laughs> yeah, man. I appreciate well, send me, the, send me a link and I'll have my young man post it all over my social media. I will, of course. All right, you have a good time and uh, and on to the next thing. Uh, yeah, you know, I'm going to go make myself some rat poison ice cream. <laughs> Don't do it. Yeah. It doesn't I make for a good that, day at work. <laughs> I think that's Ratty Road, not Rocky Road. I think. Ew. <laughs> <laughs> the next day is worse than the eating it. Oh, God, man. Oh, God. <laughs> All right, brother. Take care. I hope we Thanks. saved a life. All right. Bye-bye. Yeah, I bet you we did. I bet you I we bet did. You. Take care, brother. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thanks for taking the time to ride along with us on another episode of Vroom Vroom Veer. For podcast info and show notes, be sure to head over to vvveer.com. That's triple V double E R.com. Man, that's fun to say. And we'll catch up with you next time here on Vroom Vroom Veer. Vroom Vroom Veer.